Chapters three and four of the third volume by Fergus Hume. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Three. The Revelation of Francis Hilliston. Once upon a time, popular imagination pictured a lawyer as a cadaverous creature, arrayed in rusty black with bulging blue bag and dry forensic lore on his tongue. So was the child of Temus represented in endless Adelphia farces and his moral nature as conceived by the ingenious playwright was even less inviting than his exterior he was a scamp a rogue a compiler of interminable bills an exactor of the last shilling a legal shylock hard-fisted and avaricious to a great extent this type is a thing of the past for your latter-day lawyer is an alert well-dressed personage social and amiable still he is looked on with awe as a dispenser of justice very often of injustice and not all the fine raiment in the world can rob him of his ancient reputation when he was a dread being to the dwellers of grub street who mostly had the task of limning his portrait and so impartial revenge pictured him as above all of which preamble leads up to the fact that francis hilliston was a lawyer of the new school despite his sixty and more years in appearance he was not unlike a farmer and indeed owned a few arable acres in kent where he played the role of a modern cincinnatus there he affected rough clothing and an interest in agricultural projects but in town in his lincoln's inn fields office he was solemnly arrayed in a frock-coat with other garments to match and conveyed into his twinkling eyes an expression of dignified learning he was a different man in london to what he was in kent and was a kind of dr jekyll and mr hyde for moral transformations on this special occasion frock-coated legality was uppermost yet he unbent for a moment or so when receiving claude larcher for childless himself the young man was to him a very absalom and he loved him with an affection truly paternal no one can have the conduct of a child up to the age of twenty at which period claude made his debut in the engineering world without feeling a tugging at the heart-strings had larcher been indeed his son and he a father in the place of a guardian he could have scarcely received the young man more warmly or have welcomed him with more heartfelt affection but the first outburst over and claude duly greeted and seated in a convenient chair mr hilliston recurred to his legal stiffness and with no smile on his lips sat eyeing his visitor he had an awkward conversation before him and was mentally wondering as to the best way of breaking the ice claude spared him the trouble by at once plunging headlong into the subject of margaret bezel and her mysterious letter here you are sir said he handing it to his guardian i have brought the letter of this woman with me as you wished and i have also abstained from seeing her in accordance with your desire humph muttered hilliston skimming the letter with a legal eye i thought she would write do you know her sir oh yes said the other dryly i know her but he added after a thoughtful pause i have not set eyes on her for at least five-and-twenty years twenty-five years repeated claude thoughtful in his turn it was about that time i came into your house hilliston looked up sharply as though conceiving that the remark was made with intention but satisfied that it was not from the absent expression in larcher's face he resumed his perusal of the letter and commented thereon what do you think of this communication claude i don't know what to think replied the young man promptly i confess i am curious to know why this woman wishes to see me who is she 
a widow lady with a small income does she know anything of my family why do you ask that demanded hilliston sharply and as it seemed to claude a trifle uneasily well as i am a stranger to her she cannot wish to see me on any personal matter sir and as you mention that you have not seen her for five-and-twenty years about which time my parents died i naturally thought that i had some object in asking you not to see her well yes you are a man of experience now claude said hilliston with apparent irrelevance and have been all over the world consequently you know that life is full of trouble i believe so but hitherto no trouble has come my way you might expect that it would come sooner or later claude it has come now indeed said larcher in a joking tone am i about to lose my small income of five hundred a year no that is safe enough answered hilliston abruptly rising to his feet the trouble of which i speak will not affect your material welfare indeed if you are a hardened man of the world as you might be it need affect you very little in any case you are not responsible for the sins of a former generation and as you hardly remember your parents cannot have any sympathy with their worries i certainly remember very little of my parents sir said larcher moved by the significance of this speech yet i have a faint memory of two faces one a dark handsome face with kind eyes the other a beautiful fair countenance your father and mother claude yes so much i remember of them but what have they to do with margaret bezel or mrs bezel as i suppose she is called why does she want to see me to tell you a story which i prefer to relate myself about whom about your parents but they are dead yes said hilliston they are dead he walked about the room opened a box and took out a roll of papers yellow with age these were neatly tied up with red tape and inscribed the larcher affair placing them on the table before him hilliston resumed his seat and looked steadfastly at his ward claude vaguely aware that some unpleasant communication was about to be made to him sat silently waiting the words of ill omen and his naturally fresh colour faded to a dull white with apprehension i have always loved you like a son claude said hilliston solemnly ever since you came to my house a tiny boy of five it has been my aim to educate you well to advance your interests to make you happy and above all added the lawyer lowering his voice to keep the contents of these papers secret from you claude said nothing though hilliston paused to enable him to speak but sat waiting further explanation i thought the past was dead and buried resumed his guardian in a low voice so far as i can see it is foolish to rake up old scandals old crimes crimes said claude rising involuntarily to his feet crimes repeated hilliston sadly the time has come when you must know the truth about your parents the woman who wrote this letter has been silent for five-and-twenty years now for some reason with which i am unacquainted she is determined to see you and reveal all a few months ago she called here to tell me so i implored her to keep silent pointing out that no good could come of acquainting you with bygone evils 
but she refused to listen to me and left this office with the full intention of finding you out and making her revelation but i have been in new zealand she did not know that nor did i tell her said hilliston grimly in fact i refused to give her your address but she is not the woman to be easily beaten as i well know i guessed she would find out the name of your club and write to you there therefore i sent that letter to you so as to counterplot the creature i expected that you would find a letter from her at your club on your arrival i was right here is the letter she has succeeded so far but i have managed to checkmate her by obtaining the first interview with you should you call on her and after reading these papers i have little doubt but that you will do so she will be able to tell you nothing new i cannot crush the viper but at least i can draw its fangs you speak hardly of this woman sir i have reason to said hilliston quietly but for this woman your father would still be alive what do you mean i mean that your father george larcher was murdered murdered yes murdered at horriston in kent in the year eighteen sixty six stunned by this information which he was far from expecting claude sank down in his chair with a look of horror on his face while hilliston spoke rapidly i have kept this secret all these years because i didn't want your young life to be shadowed by the knowledge of your father's fate but now mrs bezel intends to tell you the truth and will give you a garbled version of the same making herself out a martyr i must be beforehand with her and i wish you to take those papers and read the account of the case which ended in the acquittal of your mother my mother acquitted do you mean i mean that mrs larcher was accused of the murder of her husband and was tried and acquitted great heavens but she is now dead i say no more said hilliston evading a direct reply you will know the truth when you read these papers larcher mechanically took the packet held out to him and placed it in his pocket then he rose to go a thousand questions were on the tip of his tongue but he dare not ask one it would be better he thought to learn the truth from the papers in place of hearing it from the lips of francis hilliston who might for all he knew give as garbled a version of the affair as mrs bezel hilliston guessed his thoughts and approved of the unspoken decision i think you are right he said with deliberation it is best that you should learn the truth in that way when you have read those papers come and see me about them one moment sir who killed my father i cannot say your mother was suspected and proved innocent a friend of your father was also suspected and-and proved innocent no he was never arrested he was never tried he vanished on the night of the murder and has not been heard of since now i can tell you no more go and read the papers claude larcher took up his hat and hurried toward the door in a mechanical manner there he paused does mrs bezel know the truth hilliston arranging the papers on the table looked up with a face which had unexpectedly grown grey and old yes he said quickly i think mrs bezel knows the truth four what occurred at horriston after that fatal interview claude went neither to the house at kensington gore nor to the chambers of his friend tate 
with the papers given to him by hilliston in his pocket he repaired to a quiet hotel in jermyn street where he was well known and there secured a bedroom for the night a wire speedily brought his luggage from the railway station and thus being settled for the moment he proceeded to acquaint himself with the tragedy of his parents lives it was some time before he could make up his mind to read the papers and dreading the disagreeable relation he put off the perusal till such time as he retired to bed a note dispatched to the club intimated to tate that the second seat at the curtain theatre would be unoccupied and then claude tried to rid himself of distracting thoughts by a rapid walk in the park so do men dally with the inevitable and vainly attempt to stay the march of fate dinner was a mere farce with the young man for he could neither eat nor drink and afterward he dawdled about the smoke-room putting off the reading of the papers as long as he could a superstitious feeling of coming evil withheld him from immediately learning the truth and it was not until the clock struck ten that he summoned up sufficient courage to repair to his bedroom with the papers spread out on a small table he sat down at half-past ten reading by the light of a single candle a second and third were needed before he arose from his chair and the grey dawn was glimmering through the window-blinds as he laid down the last sheet then his face was as grey as the light spreading over street and house for he knew that his dead father had been foully murdered and that his dead mother had been morally if not legally guilty of the crime the tragedy a strange mixture of the sordid and the romantic took place at horriston in kent in the year eighteen sixty six and the following are the main facts as exhibited by the provincial press in the year eighteen sixty george larcher and his wife came to settle at horriston attracted thereto by the romantic beauty of the scenery and the cheerful society of that rising watering-place since that time horriston after a feeble struggle for supremacy has succumbed to powerful rivals and is once more a sleepy little provincial town unknown to invalid or doctor but when mr and mrs larcher settled there it was a popular resort for visitors from all quarters of the three kingdoms and the young couple were extremely liked by the gay society which filled the town for five years they lived there but during the sixth occurred the tragedy which slew the husband and placed the wife in the dock the antecedents of the pair were irreproachable in every respect he was a fairly rich man of thirty-five who holding a commission in the army had met with his wife then miss barker at cheltenham she was a beautiful girl fond of dress and gaiety the belle of her native town and the greatest flirt of the countryside handsome george larcher in all the bravery of martial trappings came like the young prince of the fairy tale and carried off the beauty from all rivals she knowing him to be rich seeing him to be handsome and aware that he was well connected accepted his hand and so they were married to the great discomfiture of many sighing swains there was love on his side at least but whether julia barker returned that passion in any great degree it is hard to say the provincial reporter hinted that a prior attachment had engaged her heart and though she married larcher for his money and looks and position yet she only truly loved one man one mark jerringham who afterward figured in the tragedy at horriston to all outward appearance captain and mrs larcher were a pattern couple and popular with military and civil society then in obedience to the wish of his wife george larcher sold out and within a few months of their marriage they came to live at horriston here they took a house known as the laurels which was perched on a cliff of moderate height overlooking the river sarway and proceeded to entertain the gay society of the neighbourhood 
one son was born to them a year after they took up their abode at the laurels and he was five years of age when the tragedy took place which caused the death of his parent claude had no difficulty in recognizing himself as the orphan so pathetically alluded to by the flowery provincial reporter the household of george larcher consisted of six servants among whom two were particularly interesting the one was the captain's valet dennis bantry an irish soldier in the same regiment as his master who had been bought out by larcher when he took leave of military glory attached to the captain by many acts of kindness dennis was absolutely devoted to him and was no unimportant personage in the new home the other servant was mona bantry the sister of dennis a handsome bright-eyed lass from county Kerry, who acted as maid to mrs larcher the remaining servants call for no special mention but this irish couple must be particularly noted as having been mixed up with the tragedy for some months all went well at the laurels and it seemed as though the larchers were devoted to one another but this was only outwardly for the character of julia developed rapidly after marriage into that of a vain frivolous woman eager of admiration extravagant as regards dress and neglectful of the infant son larcher a thoroughly domesticated man greatly resented the attitude taken by his wife and the resentment led to frequent quarrels he was annoyed by her frivolity and continuous absence from home while she began to dislike her grave husband who would have made her as she expressed it a mere domestic drudge but the pair managed to hoodwink the world as to their real feelings to one another and it was only when the trial of mrs larcher came on that the truth was revealed in all kent there was no more unhappy home than that at the laurels to make matters worse mark jerringham paid a visit to horriston and having known mrs larcher from childhood naturally enough became a frequent visitor he was everywhere at the heels of the former belle of cheltenham who encouraged him in his attentions larcher remonstrated with his wife on her folly but she saucily refused to alter her line of conduct but for the scandal of the thing larcher would have forbidden jerringham the house and to mark his disapprobation gave him the cold shoulder on every occasion nevertheless this inconvenient person persisted in thrusting himself between husband and wife to the anger of the former and the delight of the latter the introduction of this third element only made matters worse the house was divided into camps for mona supported her mistress in her frivolity and indeed seemed herself to have an admiration for handsome mark jerringham who was very generous in money matters dennis in whose eyes his master was perfect hated the interloper as much as larcher and loudly protested against the attention of mona and his mistress another friend who supported larcher was francis hilliston then a gay young lawyer of thirty-five who often paid a visit to horriston he also frequented the laurels but was much disliked by mrs larcher who greatly resented his loyal friendship to her husband things were in this position on the twenty third of june eighteen sixty six when events occurred which resulted in the murder of captain larcher the disappearance of jerringham and the arrest of mrs larcher on a charge of murder a masked ball in fancy dress was to be given at the town hall on that night and hither mrs larcher was going as mary queen of scots accompanied by jerringham in the character of darnley george larcher refused to be present and went up to london on the night in question leaving his faithful friend hilliston to look after his matrimonial interests at the ball before he left a terrible scene took place between himself and his wife in which he forbade her to go to the dance but she defied him and said she would go without his permission 
whereupon larcher left the house and went up to london swearing that he would never return until his wife asked his pardon and renounced the friendship of jerringham now here began the mystery which no one was able to fathom mrs larcher went to the ball with jerringham and having as she said to hillison who was also at the ball enjoyed herself greatly returned home at three in the morning the next day she was ill in bed although she had left the town hall in perfect health and mark jerringham had disappeared larcher was not seen in the neighbourhood for five days and presumably was still in london so during his absence mrs larcher kept her bed then his body considerably disfigured was found at the mouth of the river sarway some four miles down curious to state it was clothed in a fancy dress similar to that worn by jerringham on the night of the ball on the discovery of the body public curiosity was greatly excited and a thousand rumours flew from mouth to mouth that a crime had been committed no one doubted for a moment as an examination proved that george larcher had been stabbed to the heart by some slender sharp instrument the matter passed into the hands of the police and they paid a visit to the laurels for the purpose of seeing what light mrs larcher could throw on the matter at this awful period of her frivolous life francis hilliston stood her friend and it was he who interviewed the officers of the law when they called mrs larcher was still in bed and under the doctor's orders refused to rise therefrom or to receive her visitors she protested to hilliston who in turn reported her sayings to the police that she knew nothing about the matter she had not seen her husband since he left her on the twenty-third of june and no one was more astonished or horror-struck than she at the news of his death according to her story she had left the ball at three o'clock and had driven to the laurels with jerringham he had parted from her at the door of the house and had walked back to horriston his reason for not entering and for not using the carriage to return was that he did not wish to give colour to the scandal as to the relations which existed between them which mrs larcher vowed and protested were purely platonic furthermore she asserted that her illness was caused by a discovery which she had made on the night of the ball that mona bantry was about to become a mother and to all appearance she believed that the father of the coming child was none other than her husband far from thinking that he had been murdered she had been waiting for his return in order to upbraid him for his profligacy and to demand a divorce mona bantry had disappeared immediately after the discovery of her ruin and mrs larcher professed that she did not know where she was this story was feasible enough satisfied the police authorities for the moment and they retired only to return three days later with a warrant for the arrest of mrs larcher in the interval a dagger had been found in the grounds of the laurels on the banks of the river and as it was stained with blood and exactly fitted the wound it was concluded that with this weapon the crime had been committed inquiry resulted in the information being obtained that mrs larcher in her character of mary queen of scots had worn this dagger on the night of the ball hence it was evident so said the police that she had killed her husband the theory of the police was that captain larcher had returned from london on the night of the ball and had witnessed the parting of his wife and jerringham at the door filled with jealous rage he had upbraided his wife in the sitting-room the window of which looked out on the cliff overhanging the river in a moment of fury she had doubtless snatched the dagger from her girdle and stabbed him to the heart then terrified at what she had done had thrown the body out of the window trusting that the stream would carry it away and so conceal her crime this the river had done for the body had been discovered four miles down where it had been carried by the current 
as to the dagger being in the grounds in place of the room the police never at a loss for a theory suggested that mrs larcher had stolen out of the house and had thrown the dagger over the bank where it was subsequently discovered mrs larcher asserted her innocence and reiterated her statement that she had not seen her husband since the day of the ball he had not returned on that night as the servants could testify the only domestics who had not retired to bed when she returned at three o'clock were mona and dennis of these the first had gone away to hide her shame and all inquiries and advertisements failed to find her but at the trial dennis much broken down at the ruin of his sister swore that captain larcher had not returned from london that evening and that mrs larcher had gone straight to the sitting-room where she first made the discovery of mona's iniquity and then had afterward retired to bed mrs larcher asserted that the dagger had been lost by her at the ball and she knew not into whose hands it had fallen the trial which took place at canterbury was a nine days wonder and opinions were divided as to the guilt of the erring wife one party held that she had committed the crime in the manner stated by the police while the others asserted that jerringham was the criminal and had disappeared in order to escape the consequences of his guilt doubtless said they he had been met by larcher after leaving the house and had killed him during a quarrel the use of the dagger was accounted for by these wiseacres by a belief that mrs larcher had given it to jerringham as a love token when she parted from him at the door of the laurels the evidence of dennis that he had been with or near mrs larcher till she retired to bed and that the captain had not set foot in the house on that evening turned the tide of evidence in favour of the unfortunate woman she was acquitted of the crime and went to london but there died as appeared from the newspapers a few weeks afterward killed by anxiety and shame the child claude was taken charge of by mr hilliston who had been a good friend to mrs larcher during her troubles and so the matter faded from the public mind what became of jerringham no one ever knew his victim as some supposed larcher to be was duly buried in the horriston cemetery but all the efforts of the police failed to find the man who was morally if not legally guilty of the crime dennis also was lost in the london crowd and all those who had been present at the tragedy at the laurels were scattered far and wide new matters attracted the attention of the fickle public and the larcher affair was forgotten in due course the mystery was never solved who was guilty of the crime that question was never answered some accused mrs larcher despite her acquittal and death others insisted that jerringham was the criminal but no one could be certain of the truth hilliston seeing that mr and mrs larcher were dead that mona dennis and jerringham had disappeared wisely kept the matter secret from claude deeming that it would be folly to disturb the mind of the lad with an insoluble riddle of so terrible a nature so for five and twenty years the matter had remained in abeyance now it seemed as though it were about to be reopened by mrs bezel and who asked claude of himself as he finished this history in the grey dawn of the morning who is mrs bezel to say the least he had a right to ask himself this question for it was curious that the name of mrs bezel was not even mentioned in connection with that undiscovered crime of five-and-twenty years before End of chapters three and four